So today, our scripture is going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. And uh, I've entitled this message, The Rock Has Come Back. So um, in past studies, I've shared a lot about my family. And um, I want to share a little bit of my dad. You know, um, he's a very joyful man, and he loves the Lord. And, you know, he loves to sing hymns. He loves to preach the Word of God. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the things he really loves is WWE, World Wrestling <laughs> Entertainment, namely the SmackDown show. <laughs> so I remember, you know, when my brother and I were growing up, we would look forward to... Uh, you know, we never had cable TV in the house. So we would rely on those rabbit ears and any local station that would pick something up. And there would be that SmackDown show that we would just all look forward to that one night in the evening where, you know, we can just hang out with Dad. And sorry, Mom, but she just didn't like that program because it was too rowdy. But anyway, you know, it was just neat seeing Dad um, really get into it, you know, he would go on and start cheering for the athlete he really liked and then booing the other guy. And the thing is, like, back in those days, it seemed like there was some morals, even in that wrestling program that they would put on. It was always the good guys versus the bad guys, and then when the good guys won, you're all happy. And then when the bad guys won, you know, everybody's just disappointed and angry. We don't know what would go on. But... um. But anyway, um, the reason why I bring this up, and you're probably going to look at me funny, but uh, there was one distinct character that I want to share about who really stood out. And you might know him by Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. So the character of The Rock, you know, he is prideful, he is arrogant, very condescending when he talks about his opponents. And uh, I believe one of his quotes was the self-proclaimed as the most electrifying man in sports entertainment history. But, you know, when he would enter the ring, he would grab the microphone from the announcer and, uh, you know, he would do his eyebrow thing. And then, um, and then, you know what's coming up next, right? Finally, The Rock has come back to fill in the name of the venue, right? Let's just say Pasadena for now, okay? All right, so what in the world does The Rock have to do anything with our study? Well, how about the Apostle Peter? I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but, um, you know, Christ referred to Peter as both a stone initially and then as a rock. And uh, through the life of Peter and his experiences with our Lord, he did exhibit a lot of pride and arrogance here and there. And, uh, and you know, his last mention was in chapter 8. So there has been a little bit of time here in the scripture reading between last week and this week where we haven't seen him around, but he's still up and about doing the Lord's work. But uh, one thing that really stood out to me and what I want to stress here, um, you know, there... In the reading that we have for today, there are healings, there's raising from the dead, and 
there seemed like there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, but there's also the Apostle Peter to talk about because he was, um, he was the one who was uh, over there doing those healings and the raisings. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit has consistently working on this brother's heart, transforming him into the rock upon which Christ was to build his church. And uh, so taking the quote from Dwayne Johnson and applying it to the Apostle Peter, I say, Finally, the rock, Peter, has come back to his first love, Jesus Christ. Amen? So keep this in mind because I'm going to try to tie it in with the last verse for the scripture reading of this lesson. So, uh, let's do some recap about Apostle Peter and the things he has gone through. And uh, let me ask you this. What is our reasonable service to our Lord? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we, we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen to that. And also, I want to read a little bit from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 19, where it talks about the new creation. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And that reconciliation is what's been working on people's lives since the beginning of time. So, a little bit about our brother Peter. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, there are four fishermen called disciples, and they left everything to follow Jesus. Let me read. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Just dropped everything. Followed Jesus. Next, um, we know that Peter is called by the name of Cephas, which means stone. And in John chapter 1, Verse 35 and a couple verses, I'm going to read to you here. It says, again, the next day, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as Jesus walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So get it? Rock, stone. Okay. All right. So um, moving forward, um, you know, with all things, they're possible with God. And, um, you know, when we leave everything to follow the Lord, he does great things. Um, In Mark chapter 10, I'm going to read a couple verses here, starting from verse 23. It says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many of our first will be last and the last first. There is a cost of leaving everything behind and following Jesus, but the reward is awesome. Now, a couple other things about Peter. Um, you know, Jesus predicted Peter's denial in John, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 14, verse 27. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised... I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Kind of sounds like Dwayne Johnson, right? A little bit, a little bit arrogant, but um, but he's still being transformed. So, um, you know, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ in Matthew chapter sixteen, and I'm going to read a couple verses, starting from thirteen, because I think this is where Jesus basically tells him who he's going to be for for him. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The rock, Peter. Now, uh, moving forward, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection. And what does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus. So, verse 21, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then, what does Peter do? He took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far it be from you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, in addition to that, um, Peter was a privily, very privileged witness. Um, he actually saw Jesus transfigured on the mount. Um, we read in Matthew 17, it says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Do we hear Christ? It would have been so neat to be there and actually see Jesus face to face like that. So, um, Peter, um, next thing I want to point out, um, he liked swords. John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So Peter's learning a lot of lessons here. So uh, continuing in that same John chapter 18, um, Peter denies Jesus. Verse 17, Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? What did Peter say? I am not. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, in verse 26, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him, Jesus? Peter then denied again. And what happened? The rooster crowed. <sighs> what a moment that must have been for him. Now, um, another privilege that Peter had, um, he actually saw that Jesus was no longer in the tomb after he had been raised. John chapter 20, verse 3. 
Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter, came to the tomb first, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in the place by itself. Isn't that neat just to actually be an eyewitness to the Lord and Savior being risen? Now, um, after all these things that happened... Um, there was something that happened in John chapter 21. Now, what had Jesus commissioned his disciples to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And don't just stay here. Go out, right? So, what does Peter do? John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Go figure. Uh, but he's been through a lot. Um, and I'm sure a lot of emotions are going through him. You know, he's denied the Lord. What's going to happen next? Jesus is gone. What do I do? But um, further down in John 21, verse 15, you know, we have confirmation that Jesus forgives Peter of his threefold denial. So let me read from verse 15 in a couple verses. Uh, John chapter 21. Yep, verse 15. So, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love agape me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love, meaning I have affection for you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I have affection for you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you have affection for me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus said this to him the third time, Do you have affection for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, through all these things that have gone on in Peter's life, experiences of seeing his Lord resurrected, and, um, you know, there's a change happening in him. But throughout all these things, I want to assure you that God is sovereign and his character is truly awesome. You know, while I was trying to prepare this study, it seemed like there were all sorts of distractions throughout the, the previous couple of weeks. Um, you know, um, let me tell you a couple things and you tell me if it's true or false or if it's believable. My dog ate my homework. Okay. There was a coyote in my front yard. Yes, that was true. Wild coyote was in my front yard. 
right when I had to come to church and serve with the kids. But what can you do? All right. Um, let's see. How about another one? Um, my utility trailer got slammed into a car twice, and I had to chase the driver down the street and call the police before they stopped. Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, on my trip to Brazil to visit family, my flight was overbooked. Yep, that was true. <laughs> All right. But um, just to let you know, whenever you're going to do something that involves the work of the Lord, the enemy is going to be out there to try to discourage you. And uh, what I want to encourage you is that, you know, if the Lord is allowing you to do something, just like he was planning for Peter to do all these things that we're about to see in today's scripture, he's already enabled you. He's given you the wisdom, the knowledge, the power, the ability to do it. And all he's saying is, follow me, just be obedient. So as a reminder of God's sovereignty and character, I want to read a couple passages from Isaiah. First one is Isaiah 46, 8 to 10. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And God's pleasure for us is awesome. It is great. Isaiah 53, 5-6. You know, God the Father sacrificed His own Son for our sins. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The greatest gift of all. Um, and also the ways God works are beyond us. Isaiah 55, 8-9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So keeping in mind God's sovereignty and control over all that goes on, let's see what good the Lord did through his servant Peter in this section of Scripture. So let's turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 32, and I'm just going to read real quickly through verses 32 to the end, 42, 43. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a, ma a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was also doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, 
And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knee and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, um, so let's dig into the text here. Verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. So Peter was being obedient to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was going around ministering throughout the country, and I'm sure he was preaching the gospel, sharing the good news. And, uh, you know, he just happened to be led to Lydda, which is an ancient city on the road to Joppa. And uh, if I can estimate this, it's like 20-some miles northwest of Jerusalem and um, southwest of Joppa, about 10 miles. Um, there's a reference to it in the Old Testament in First Chronicles chapter 8, 8, verse 12, and it's called Lod. Um, verse 12 reads, The sons of Elpaal were Eber, Misham, and Shemed, who built Ono and Lod with its towns. So that's just for, for reference. So the other fact that we read from this verse, Peter was visiting some saints, the Lord's people. And um, what we also know from previous chapters, namely chapter 8, is that Philip evangelized the area after he was dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, just want to read a couple verses from chapter 8, verse 30 on, just so that we get a recap. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So the word of God was spreading throughout all this area here. Now, um, the last mention we have of Peter was 
in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, where he, along with John, dealt with Simon the sorcerer. And if you recall that story, I'm going to read from Acts 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So now verse 20, this is the rock Peter. What does he say? Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So, in keeping with our theme, he laid the smack down, right? Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the word of God is moving along. And we see that Peter is being obedient. And um, you know the same boldness that he used to rebuke the Lord, he's now using to actually preach the gospel. So now, let's move to verse 33. And to repeat, it says, There he found a man, a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. So now we have a man. He is called by name, Aeneas. And the fact is, he's paralyzed. Eight years. And can you imagine that, not being able to move at all? But... Um, but the Lord had something to do here. And let's see what happens. In verse 34, it says, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. And what happened? Immediately, Aeneas got up. So Peter is commanding this paralyzed man who's been bedridden for eight years to stand up. And he's saying, Jesus Christ heals you. And the the tense in which he's saying that this is that Jesus is healing you now. And arise, you know, get up, make your bed. And what happened? He got up right away. So there had to be a word of knowledge that the Lord gave to Peter. You know, because the Lord led Peter to this man. And, um, and then there was a word of wisdom that the Lord showed Peter on what to do. And then there had to be the gift of faith as well for the healing to take place. And then the miracle takes place and the paralyzed man gets up. And we got to keep in mind that, you know, the healing is not from Peter. The healing is sovereignly through God because God chooses sovereignly who he heals. But if we're obedient to him, just maybe he will use us and, and we'll get the privilege to see something like this happen. In Hebrews chapter 2, 
verse 1 to 4, it says, Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, there are spiritual gifts involved, and everyone who is a believer has at least one gift. And let's elaborate a bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read 7 through 11. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. We saw that right now. To another, word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So in this case... You know, uh, the Lord was giving Peter specific gifts for a specific purpose. And, um, and I know that he gives each and every one of us the gifts he wants to use for his glory. Now, God has his good pleasure for each of us. And, you know, he doesn't want clones. He wants to have unity in one spirit with the diversity of the body of Christ. And just as I'm totally different from every one of you, but, you know, we have one common thing. In we have Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. And you look at this church, and it's just amazing how things just melt together and how the Lord works, how people come to Christ. And, and it's just neat to be involved and to have that privilege. So... Still in 1 Corinthians 12, um, verse 18, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. So God has set each and every one of you in his kingdom, in his body, just as he pleased. And I know that he wants to use each and every one of us for bigger and greater things than we can even imagine. Now, one of the interesting parts with the healing of Aeneas was that there was no mention of faith on the part of him. And this was just, God wants to heal this guy, and it's going to be done. We can't stop it. Um, now, we are asked to pray if we are sick. In James chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Um, we're asked to pray. and uh, Now, Scripture doesn't specifically say if anyone prayed for this man, but um, I would assume if there were believers in the area, they probably did. 
but um, but you know, we are commanded to pray, and uh, and God will sovereignly heal as He pleases. And in conclusion, with this section, verse thirty-five reads: All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw Him and turned to the Lord. So this is the result of the healing of Aeneas. So all those who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon. I know it might sound like a stretch, but if the word of God says all, it means all. It means everybody in that area. They saw this man. They saw him get healed. They knew he was paralyzed for eight years. They saw him stand up. And he became a witness for the gospel with this healing. Amen. Um, question. Have have any of you ever witnessed someone get healed and you know it for certain, there's no doubt in your mind it had to be the Lord? Um, I want to share a little story. Um, it's about a young lady I met about yeah, a year, year and a half ago. And for, the, for this story, I'm going to call her sis because she's like a sister to me. So um, I was headed on a business trip uh, out of state to our company headquarters, and um, you know we had spent about three days uh, doing a workshop and finding ways to improve our business and serve our customers. And uh, I'm adding all this stuff up because it's one of those things where you say, okay, it's just so busy, so crazy, so hectic. Um, you know the Lord's going to do something, and you're like, when is it going to stop? Okay, Lord. Is this enough? Is this enough? All right. So, um, and you know, I work for a company where there are maybe a couple believers here and there and a lot of professing Christians who do stuff that they shouldn't. So every time I go on these business trips, you know, I, I just dread it because I know they're going to make fun of me. I know they're going to want to go to bars and places where, you know, bad things are probably going to happen. But... Um, the way I look at it is, it's just an amazing ministry opportunity to go out, and it's a privilege, you know. Um, you know, when I usually go out, you know, they want to go somewhere to eat, and there's always going to be alcohol. So, uh, you know, there was one time where, you know, we're we're eating in, in the restaurant area of a bar, and um, you know, my coworkers are drinking. I'm looking at them. And they're like, "Don't you want anything to drink?" I'm like, "No, thank you." And then um, I start witnessing to other people on the table and, you know, total strangers. And, you know, they're really getting into the gospel, and I'm, I keep sharing. And then my coworkers get totally embarrassed. They're like, Rob, stop it, stop it. Like, Come on, let's leave, let's leave. I'm like, dude, I'm not done yet. Wait up. But anyway, you know, just imagine three days of this, you know, in addition to the hard work and going out and just dealing with all sorts of craziness. All right, day three, time to go home. So um, I had the rental car, and um, I, I dropped off three of my coworkers at the terminal, and I'm like, hey, guys, you know, it's okay. You guys go. I'll drop off the rental car, catch the shuttle back. Should have plenty of time to catch the flight home. So, um, you know, I go to the rental place, wait for the shuttle, wait for the shuttle, wait for the shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, flight's in less than 45 minutes. Wait for the shuttle. <laughs> well, shuttle comes. I get back to the terminal. So, um, all right, so now I'm in the terminal. I go through security, 
and the x-ray machine doesn't like my bag. So uh, the TSA pulls me aside, and you know he's looking through the bag and pulling things out. And uh, he pulls out a bottle of Rudy's famous barbecue sauce. I'm like, he's like, you can't take this on the plane with you. I'm like, why not? It's just a sealed bottle of barbecue sauce. He's like, nope, can't do it. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? He's like, well, you can check your bag in. I'm like, oh, great. 30 minutes, flight's going to leave. What do I do? And I'm not going home without that barbecue sauce, okay? <laughs> no way. I'm out. What can I do? All right. Yeah, in case you're wondering, Rudy's is like a really cool barbecue place in Texas. But I'll talk more about that in another study in the future. So, um, so I, I go back out with my carry-on luggage, go back through the... Uh, the airport check-in place, check the bag in, and then I walk up back to the security guard where you go through the check-in. He looks at me. He's like, I mean, it was the same guy. I'm like, I'm back. <laughs> but anyway, you know, showed him the ID, went through the x-ray again, all good and clean this time, no problem. So, um, so now I finally reached the gate, and literally five minutes before the, the doors close on the plane, so, and on these flights, you know, uh, they're cheap flights, so there's no assigned seating. It's basically you get whatever seat uh, your rear end fits on. So, you know, I'm walking in the airplane, going to the back, going to the back, all the way to the back. And there's one empty seat right there in the aisle. Um, there was a young lady and her dad over there. I asked them, hey, anybody sitting here? They're like, no, no, go ahead. So, um... So I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you. Finally made it. Please give us a safe trip home. What did the Lord say? I ain't done with you. <laughs> so I take out my Bible. I'm like, okay, it's been a rough day. I want to refresh myself with some scripture. So took my raggedy old Armenian Bible, started reading. And the lady next to me, she, she looks at it and she's like, hey, that's so cool. And then, um, long story short, we ended up talking the whole time three hours straight. So I found out that she is a believer, but she's going through some rough times. And guess what? She's like in her 20s, has a tumor in her brain. But she is a believer. And, um, and here's what had happened. Um, her local doctor, um, with what they diagnosed is that they're going to have to go into her head and remove that tumor. And it was basically right above her ear, right around this area in the temple. And the surgery that they wanted to do would basically damage half the facial nerves. So there was like 95% chance or something like that where, you know, she would recover from the cancer, but basically um, she wouldn't be able to have any movement on one side of her face. But look at what the Lord's doing here. So I knew the Lord put me there for ministry. And what had happened, that very morning, um, she and her dad had gotten a call from their doctor that there was a doctor in Beverly Hills who had read over the case, and he was pretty much 100% sure that he could do that same operation, remove the tumor 
without any damage to her. So they had literally booked a flight that same day, and here we are. We're all on the same flight, and the Lord's doing something. Kind of neat. Um, her dad is a dentist, and they've done a couple mission trips to Africa and helped a lot of kids over there. Um, so, you know, um, we talked. I, I kept encouraging her with scripture. We exchanged phone numbers and, um, and told her, asked her, you know, can I put you on our prayer chain? She's like, yeah, sure. Um, so then, you know, we finally landed in L.A., and then they went their way. I went my way. And, um, you know, that following Sunday when I came to church service, I went to Pastor Rex, and I told him about this young lady. And I asked him, you know, hey, would you pray for her? We're going to put her on the prayer chain. Um, and I told him about the story. So, um, all right. So, you know, she was going to have pre-op the next week. And then she was going to go in for surgery. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, probably shouldn't call her or text her anything. Uh, she's probably in pain, recovering. Well, Lord blew me away. So uh, the day after surgery, she was already released. She was enjoying dinner with her dad in Old Town, Pasadena. And then um, I had invited them to church. And they show up to the morning service. You know, she has all the bandages on her head, but she's perfectly fine. And then I'm like, hey, let me introduce you to Pastor X. So um, after service, I take him down, and uh, they're, you know, I, hey, Pastor X, you know, this is the, the lady I talked to you about. And then X gets really excited. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. How are you? How are you? How are you doing? Uh, come, come. Let me anoint you with oil. Let me pray for you. But, um, but the whole story, you know, how the Lord made all that happen and all the prayers that got said and got answered um long story short sis is cancer free now she was able to finish her nursing program that was cut short she landed a job as an RN at one of the top hospitals in her hometown and she is diligently seeking the lord's will so if you think miracles don't happen just wait. The Lord will blow you away. So, let's move on to the next miracle. And in verse 36, it says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Um, helping the poor. Seems like a really nice lady here. Isaiah chapter 61, a couple verses. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Just following what the Lord's telling us to do. So this was in Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean. It's about 10 miles north of, northwest of Lydda, um, close to Tel Aviv. And it, uh, it's called Jaffa, which is an ancient seaport here. 
Um, you know, Jonah had actually sailed from here to avoid going to Nineveh, if you want to look up Jonah 1.3. Um, and also, um, Hiram, king of Tyre, he had sent timbers for the temple that Solomon was building for the Lord in Second Chronicles 2.16, just for historical reference. All right. Um, so, now the woman was a disciple, and... Um, you know, it's in the feminine, and it's just one time in the New Testament. Um, she was very benevolent, full of good works, full of charitable deeds. Now, um, in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, it says, This is a faithful saying, that these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So we are advised and we are commanded, um, you know, as children of God, that we are to help the poor. We are to help those who are needy. Um, question, what kind of fasting is pleasing to our Lord? And, uh, you know, this week a lot of my devotions have been in the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to give you a lot of Isaiah to look at. Isaiah chapter 58, 6-10, it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. You know, we, all, we always see the imagery of light, and Christ in us is light. But we ourselves, our sin nature, it is darkness. Verse 37, it reads, About that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. So she experienced a very sudden death, unexpected, and quickly died. But... You know, she was washed and she was taken to a room upstairs. Um, I don't know, but in those days, if you were to build a second story, it's not like today, you know. Um, she must have been well off or something along those lines. Um, and then in verse 38, it says, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. So, Peter's out there, you know, he's ministering, he's uh, being that rock for the church that Christ is developing, and, um, and Lydda was about nine miles from Joppa, and um, so these disciples came and they begged him, you know, come and, you know, no delay, we need you right away here, and what does Peter do? Does he hesitate? Does he make excuses? Verse 39, it says, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made 
while she was still with them. So Peter arrives to Joppa. You know, he's obedient to the Lord. He's coming here. He's summoned there. So, um, so he's taken to that upper room. And uh, can you imagine, like, uh, Dorcas must have been such a wonderful servant, helping so many in need, so many who were neglected. And, um, and they just, they were just so sad to see her go. And I'm sure Peter was probably moved quite a bit by all this that was going on. And, you know, Peter was shown all the tunics and garments that she had made for all these widows. And, and the widows were wearing these things. Um, you know, it's a witness to what she had done. Um, just look at the impact of this ministry um, that she had just because she was obedient to her calling. Now, a um, couple things I wanted to pull out from Proverbs 31, where it talks about the wife or woman of noble character. Verse 13, it says, She let, selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She must have been diligent. Verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. Verse 19, in her hand she holds the die staff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. Again, uh, working those, making those clothes. Verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. I'm sure as she was giving these gifts to, to these women that um, she was ministering to them as well. Um, verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Verse 31, honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So in verse 40 it says, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. So... You know, we have Peter, he doesn't want the attention. He's moving everybody out of the room. And then he's inquiring of the Lord and seeing what the Lord would have him do. And uh, where he knelt down and prayed. And, uh, and I'm sure Peter had to just push everybody out. He's like, get out, get out. The Lord wants to do something, okay? But, um, you know, um, it must have been crazy over there. Can't imagine how how they must have been feeling. But, you know, he just Peter just turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes and, you know, she gets up. Total miracle. And, you know, the Lord had given Peter a word of knowledge. And, you know, there was a gift of faith. And that finalized into the miracle. So, in obedience, Peter is actually enjoying the privilege to see the Lord at work over here. And again, God sovereignly healed this woman and brought her back to life. It wasn't Peter doing that brought her back to life. But um, another interesting fact here is that, I mean, the woman was dead, so there was no faith on her part. You know, she couldn't have prayed. She couldn't have asked the Lord to heal her or raise her from the dead. But God sovereignly wanted to heal her. And, you know, Peter lifts her up and, um, and he presents her to them alive. And uh, and just for other reference, you know, Peter was present at the raising of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, 
verse 41 if you want to look at that. Now, why all this? Let's see, verse 42 it reads, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So, this deed became known all throughout Joppa, and, you know, it was evangelism. It was a witness, and it's just neat to see the Lord work and use these kinds of things for His glory. So, um, this leads us to the final verse, verse 43, and it says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, um, what does a tanner do? Um, <laughs> he yeah, that, um, but imagine this. You have a Jew going into the house of this Gentile who basically works with dead animals, skins them, and then deals with, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, what does it say in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2, about unclean animals? Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or creepy thing, he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Ah, Peter, Peter. <laughs> Leviticus eleven twenty four. it says... Um, you know, it talks about purification after touching dead animals. These will make you unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean until evening. And whoever carries any of their carcasses must wash his clothes and will be unclean till evening. Um, but, you know, the Lord is working on Peter. And just as a preview for next week, um, if you look in chapter 10, Peter actually has a vision of unclean animals, which the Lord says he has cleansed, right? A couple verses in 10, um, verses 12 to 15, it says, In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But what do we get? We get a glimpse of Peter's old self trying to make a comeback, right? But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Peter, Peter, Peter. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Um, and then, following in chapter 10, you know, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles while Peter is preaching to the house of Cornelius. And Peter gets to witness some really neat things here. Um, in chapter 10, 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, which was the gospel that he was proclaiming, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This was a totally new thing. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So, um, you know, the Lord has been working on Peter this whole time. And um, is there anything better than to be right smack in the middle of God's will? Nothing. In tying with our introduction, finally, the rock has come back to his first love, Jesus Christ. But how about myself? How about you? 
And how about the rock, Dwayne Johnson? Am I being obedient to go where the Lord has called me to go, to preach his gospel, to do the works that he prepared beforehand, that we should dwell in them? And, um, and we'll continue to read about Peter through Acts, and, um, and he is becoming the rock upon which Christ is building his church. And that goes for us all. Wherever the Lord has called us, whatever capacity he has given us, whatever gifts he has given, enabled us to use for his glory, let's not let him down. And my prayer for us all is that, you know, when we leave this place now, the Lord gives us traveling mercies and strength and wisdom just to keep on keeping on, as Pastor X would say. Let's pray. So, gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this part of Scripture where um, you used your servant Peter mightily, Lord, as he was being obedient to your calling to go out and to... um, to partake in the healing of two individuals, Lord God. And, uh, and we ask, Lord God, that um, you would enable us, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit, and you would use us, Lord, to do your will wherever you send us. Lord, let us not deny you. Let us not allow the distractions of the world to keep us from following you. And, Lord, I pray that... We I never deny you before men. And Lord God, um, I lift up all my sisters and brothers here to you, as well as those who could not make it this day, Lord. Please guard their hearts, bless them, and keep them. And Lord, as you uh, take us home, help us just to remember these words, that it would penetrate our hearts, that we may use it to continue to preach the gospel until you take us home. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And the people of the Lord said... Amen. Amen. Thank you.